my initial reaction was, what the fuck? Like, I was like pretty pissed. Could have something to do with the fact that I had money on Malia. But I, I love this. I done. love this new Mikey. This is what we're at. You've been fucking boring as fuck for the last two years. Now you've got a bit of flesh in the game and you're fired up. You've got your boy Carlos on tour. You're throwing down the boss's money on some betting. You're winning a little bit of cash to take the missus on a date. And I fucking love it. Welcome to The Drop on the Stat Podcast feed. My name is Danny Johnson and we're mid-pipe pro, the first event of the 2022 season. So Mike and Stacey are back to break down all the mayhem so far on the cast, including but not limited to the incredible waves, Steph Gilmore's exclusion and how Bethany Hamilton landed in her spot, the rookies that are performing out of their skin, Kelly's buzzer beater, Moana Jones's potential to win and also qualify out of this event. And then, of course, they'll fire up the old crystal ball and tell you who's going to who's going to be the champions on the men and women's side. But before we get to that, let's catch up on all the other surf news this week with Stab's editor, big dick power surfer, Mr. Brendan Buckley. I'm good. I'm in Portugal. Yeah, so you don't live in France anymore. You, you're back from Hawaii, but not back to France. That's not your home. You live in Portugal now? Uh, it depends on which government agency you ask and how mm. I'm trying to pay my taxes pretty much. Mm. You're, I, uh, you're basically Jason Bourne to me. I like that. I'll go with that. Yeah, I'm sure you've got multiple passports. I just, I just hope the IRS thinks I'm like that too, <laughs> and thinks he gets a nice tax bracket. Uh, no, we're here. We, we got the house. We're in it. I'm in it right now. It's Congratulations. The, it's the new studio. Yeah, the new, the new drop studio here in Portugal. But I do have to say, it was a long way back from Hawaii. And I actually got to surf in a blizzard in New Jersey on my way back. You went home and, and visited the, the, the homeland before you, before you came back and moved to Portugal. I did. I had my original ticket. I was supposed to have like a 13-hour layover pretty much between two red eyes. Like red eye from Hawaii to New Jersey, 13-hour, all day, no reason layover. Another red eye, just ruin your back for like a year type situation. Uh, so I landed, I looked at it before, but I was like, okay, if I'm landing on a Friday morning, I'm just going to change my shit and spend a weekend there and then fly out. Cause it's pretty easy to get from the East coast to Europe. So yeah, that weekend happened to be a blizzard. Hmm. And you got barreled in a blizzard? You ever surfed in the snow? No, no. And I, I haven't even left this hometown since we started this podcast in case you're wondering. Oh, wow. Does that add to my worldliness, getting barreled in a blizzard? Yeah. Well, just you're, every week you're in a different country. Yeah. No, like I said, I'm trying to just, I'm trying to make sure all the WSL's contributions to uh, like going carbon neutral, I'm trying to make up for it. Yeah. So what's it like getting tubed in a blizzard? How does that go down? Basically, you like stumble to your feet because you've been in board charts for six weeks and now all of a sudden you're in a borrowed five mil with seven mil booties that don't fit you um so you stumble your feet you're riding a 610 with an eagle painted on it that you got for 75 dollars in hawaii uh i have a story coming on that by the way i got in hawaii i got four boards for 495 dollars um on secondhand sites so i'm going to do a piece on that that's impressive one of them had a big eagle so you're on the 610 eagle you do not need a 610 it's just obnoxious but you know you're long flight jet lagged five mil so you stumble your feet kind of just lock in one line and uh come out feel the snow on your face all right well should we get into some surf news 
Let's get into the surf news. You can now bet on surfing in the United States of America. Uh, that's kind of a lie. You cannot, Danny, but I can. It's finally happened. I, we've been out of bed on surfing in Australia forever. And Americans are finally allowed to throw down on heats. I thought America was the land of the free buck. But it turns out before now... Land of the free bets when you sign up for an account. Yeah, well, it's the land, it was the land of strict rules and no fun up until, up until now. But congratulations. Welcome to the online gambling world. Yeah, well, it is still the land of the strict rules and regulations when it comes to betting. But there are some loopholes that people find like it's now state by state it's weird it's like weed it's like state by state it can rule sports betting to be legal or not and so some states you can uh none of those states offer surfing yet i mean all it takes is this one sports book to be like hey here's odds on surfing which is what this one betonline.ag did and so now i mean i've been making money it's been great i've i've actually i don't know if you know this but when I first started at STAB, like I was at Quicksilver full time and I was actually out there for the Quick Pro Gold Coast and I went over, STAB had a house at the time, it was definitely before you were there, but uh, I went over to like say hi to everybody just with a few people from Quicksilver and we got talking about writing and like I had already done a bunch of writing at Surfing Magazine and I knew Sam through that. And so I ended up kind of like drunkenly making a deal to work at Stab this night. Like I did not, that was not really the plan. It just went over there for a barbecue and then left with a contract. Nice. And one of my stipulations was a $500 signing bonus so that I could give the money to my friend who would start an account for me to bet on surfing in Australia. And so I got it set up then and so I'm used to this a little bit, but that didn't last so long because like, you know, I had to get all my friends like bank account info and everything. And he kind of got sick of me. Like he just kind of got cold feet and said, dude, stop doing this. Oh, Cause nah. I'd like try to put money in and out. And it was just not, we didn't have a system that was going to work. I thought you were about to tell me that you were part of that early run of betting on surfing. Did you hear about the, the money that people were making in those early days? What did they just have the odds like? way way wrong and people would just clean up they didn't have any understanding of surfing whatsoever and so like there were these situations where there'd be a top tier surfer that didn't surf big waves be coming up against like a tahitian wild card massive chopes and the odds were still drastically favoring the small wave surfer and then there were like coaches and people from the commentary team at the events that were noticing injuries and and little things that were happening at, at the events and they were just cleaning up even it got to the point where luke munro who was a former tour surfer made so much money that they end up getting a job and he now is one of the people that sets the odds for for online gambling with surfing in australia wow i mean i knew he did the odds but i didn't know that he got in that position by just cleaning up <laughs> so you you're not only a shrewd negotiator getting $500 signing bonuses. That's impressive, but you you you've had a you've had a little dabble before. Well, I think I just played at uh Tom Bird, one of our owners heartstrings cuz he likes to punt. And so I think I just I I think I helped play that up cuz he wanted me to get in there, get in the mix and start gambling. So, you know, 
that was that was what that was all about and yeah it didn't last long i had a good run i was making money but my friend didn't like the idea of it like i said so didn't last long and now i'm in there at this one and i'm already up uh then i got tempted and bet money on football over the weekend and got myself back down to my where i was originally at but uh i guess i gotta stick to surfing (laughs) what's your strategy because we've had nate florence giving us tips each round This is Nathan Florence checking in with an update on round three of the CT event at Pipe with the bet online odds and some of my top picks on the women's side and top picks on the men's side. And I think Billy Camp is going to give us some tips as well. Those guys, they know what's what's coming. They got a pretty good eye on the forecast and and who's been surfing well out there. But who have you been betting on? The odds, it's not like one of those situations where they are getting it wrong, at least from what I can see. Like, I haven't seen any heats where I'm like, okay, this is not what it's supposed to be. Like, if anything, sometimes they go way, way, way hard on, like, John or Kelly. I've seen to the point where you're like, I would never bet this favorite because, like, like I think the John, John Florence versus uh, Jackson Baker heat, like, you weren't going to go near it. It was just like, you'd have to bet like a million dollars on John to win a dollar back. Like they just, they pretty much, it was almost offensive really. I don't think I've ever seen odds like that before. I was like, wow, that's just mean. Okay. This guy's a rookie trying to make it. And you're just saying that there's no chance in hell that he'd win the heat. And they're right. Uh, But (laughs) I think you gotta, in general, like in betting, I always get tempted to just bet underdogs because obviously the payout's better. And underdogs often lose not everything is a fucking sports movie uh a lot of times <laughs> that's just what happens they they show up and then the better person or team or whatever it is wins and if you bet on the underdog you lose yeah i i find betting on surfing hilarious because surf fans know a shitload about surfers and heats and conditions and and everything there is to know but it's just so hard to remove your bias like i love kelly Kelly Slater, the ball guy, you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, only geri- geriatric on tour. And yeah. Ke- Kelly's like pretty good person to back. He's been, he's had some really good ratings the last couple of years. But a few years ago when he was in a slump, I just still couldn't bet against him. And like Kelly being a winner is so hardwired into my brain that my brain won't actually let me like touch the the keypad and, and select him for losing and – yeah, he, he lost me a bit of money, but... I have to say that just a personal bet with a friend, not even with this site or anything, I made money on Kelly losing to Jack Robinson in his first round heat because my friend was like you. He had the same thing. He's like, oh, Slater's unbeatable. He's unbeatable. I'm like, dude, this is not 2006. Like, fucking C-Mac, his name is. C-Mac, it's, it's not 2006 anymore. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Give me your money. And so I bet Rob would win that heat and just, I think he, I don't think it took him more than like five minutes to have like an 18 point total in that heat. <laughs> and so those are always fun when you could kind of talk shit to your friend about it too. You could try talking shit to the site too. Maybe they have like a chat thing where when you win, you can just kind of spout weird truths about surfing to this like robot and see if that does anything for you, you know, get a couple endorphins out. Yep. All right, so where can people bet Buck if they want to throw down? What's the name of the site? If you're American and you want to throw down, that is? It is betonline.ag. And keep an eye on the site, stabmag.com, because we will have just frequent updates on odds and picks and 
notes about Mikey Ciramella losing money, which we could all laugh at, and it'll be a good time. How much do surfing's YouTubers actually get paid? Uh, let's go with the short answer here and say about 5-10k a month. Mm -hmm. this, is, uh, this is an interview with Nathan Florence, we've done on the site. Ryan Miller actually conducted the interview because they have a great relationship, and uh, I think I wrote in the intro, Ryan's not afraid of just asking a very direct question and also harassing you until you give him the answer, pretty much. Uh, and so this is actually two parts. Part one is more YouTube-focused, as that title suggests, and then I just published one before we started called Send Me the Screenshots, Here's Your Paycheck, talking about how some surfers are working with brands these days, and it can literally be as simple as sending a screenshot of your analytics and them giving you money after you post something. That's how it works. So, that's how it works. That's how it works. But back to the YouTube thing, what do you think of that? Did you know how much people like, I guess YouTube's the type of thing where you have to really, it seems like you have to be in there and actually posting and, and trying to have any idea of how that world works. And honestly, I didn't. Like I've talked to some of the guys at Stab about how ours works, but I still, if you ask me how much these people are making off YouTube, I would have had no idea. Yeah, no, I'm super unaware of the business model and I was always under the impression it was the top 1% making all the money and those other 99% were just uh, just not making anything whatsoever. But this paints a slightly different picture, I guess. Well, the one thing that, it, that I understood after reading this is why they're so prolific because it's almost like this bank that accumulates and so each new video he puts out, he makes a little cash on that but then more people might go and watch his old video and he's put out nearly 200 videos and since 2018 when he really started using it properly and that's a lot of, that's a lot of videos yeah yeah he had that point there that like if he does if he did one in 2018 of i don't know crazy swan tahiti or something like it's not like that's going to stop getting him views which means it's not going to stop making him money so yeah it seemed like the more that you kind of cast out there, the better it is. Like you said, like, first of all, that's going to get more people to also maybe get into your old stuff or even YouTube to show them your older stuff. But uh, it's crazy. I guess it does explain why they're so consistent. And I don't know, that must be weird. Like, I always feel like if you have to answer to a super tight schedule like that, like you have to do one a week, like inevitably it's going to get, you're going to have to force things, right? Like there's just going to be weeks where you don't have that anything special going on, right? You mean like a weekly podcast? Yeah, like a weekly podcast with two guys that, uh, you know, really handsome and they hang out. They, they, one hasn't left Byron in three years and the other guy is uh, doing the carbon thing and uh, it's a good time. <laughs> exactly. No, I guess just like anything, I saw it, I've seen it in a few different ways. I guess it's like almost like this battle between if you want to only wait to post or create something when you're like really confident in it, you just see people getting super, super inconsistent. It's just like too slow. People lose attention or don't realize that you're trying to like create any momentum. And then I think there's often an issue when you're like really, really stuck to a calendar. It's almost like we have to do one a week or one a day or one whatever it is. I feel like inevitably the the quality can fall, but I don't know. 
YouTubers are making five, ten k a month. So the fuck am I talking about? Yeah, and it seems to be less about quality. That's not what people why people watch a vlog. They watch it because they feel like they have a relationship with the people that are the protagonists or the people behind the videos. What are they? They're the stars of their own vlog. So you're thinking yeah. of OnlyFans? No, this is YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nathan Florence is on OnlyFans. So I know. I think that's why you got all scrambled there. Yeah, I got scrambled. But you know, I, vlogging was considered pretty unbearable, and I wonder if this article is going to make surfers realize there is potential to make real money and monthly little additional monthly income. And I've even heard a little while back I was uh, talking to Aussie Wright and Noah Dean, and they were talking about uh, potentially starting channels. I'm sure those would look really different to the current ones that are out there, but uh, they're they're kind of the last people I would ever ever expect to enter that space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's funny is, I mean, John's obviously in that space. He puts out crazy stuff on YouTube and he had that, that stretch the other week where I haven't even had the time to watch him yet, but he just dropped five videos in a day. Do you see that? Yeah. I watched them all. They were, they were all pretty, uh, goddamn impressive. It was old stuff, but yeah, he didn't have any, um, strategy there about spacing them and maximizing the views. He just dumped them. I guess, yeah, maybe he didn't talk to Nathan that day, but <laughs> just kind of five videos, bam, here what, they are. What I can't work out is, is where all the views are coming from. Like with, even with all the people that are on earth, uh, there's just not enough co- collective time in the day to be watching this many vlogs. And then, then all, like, there's all the, the normal viewing, the streaming stuff. Like streaming companies spent $220 billion in 2021 making content. Wow. Who are all these people watching this stuff by? So the other day when I was watching Pipe, trying not to fall asleep, uh, I had to screenshot, I had to take a screenshot because as I'm watching, I usually watch on the Facebook page because uh, I don't know why. I think maybe it's because I have Adblocker on and the WSLs, if I watch on their site, I think it trips it up a little bit and it's annoying. YouTube, I feel like is always just the easiest way for me to, or sorry, Facebook's always the easiest way to watch for me to watch it. And I just saw this comment, like when you're watching on Facebook, you get these comments and they're all just weird, whatever. But there's this one person, I screenshotted it, like I said, that like, they didn't have a profile picture. Her name was like Kathy something. And the comment was just, I am definitely a spectator of surfing. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound bot-like at all. Right? And so... I think that's. I think maybe it's Kathy out there just watching yeah. all the vlogs too. She's definitely got getting a lot of numbers up there. And then there's people like you that are just asleep. Noah Dean actually during yeah. that same conversation, he told me that he just leaves his TV on for his dog during the day when he's out, and he thinks that that's where all the views are coming from, just dogs watching vlogs. <laughs> Which is pretty considerate of Noah to leave his TV on for his dog, but I feel like he, rather than letting YouTube just tick over to the next vlog he should be putting on some quality series maybe a little succession or one of the other really popular shows right now yeah yeah i don't know maybe that's just his dog's taste though like mm. i've heard a lot about succession i haven't watched it yet but maybe some complex storylines for a dog to follow kind of just wants to watch like that's true somebody somebody cook some eggs and then go surfing <laughs> vlogs are actually perfectly catered for the dog market 
Um, I, I just want to go on one quick rant. Just we kind of went in this direction. Please. Can we stop fucking filming coffee being made in surfing? Can we just come together? If we can unite around one thing, can it be no more filming a fucking coffee machine? I'm done with it. I get it. You're up early and you're going to go surf. Don't show them your fucking coffee machine. All right. We need to replace them. What, what's it going to be? Teeth brushing? No one shows teeth brushing. I, I would much prefer to see somebody just having a practicing dental hygiene in the morning than another coffee machine. Have you got an electric toothbrush, Buck? I do. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you do. It makes me like you more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. I do. It's great. <laughs> yeah. It's a much more interesting topic already. Teeth brushing. I think we should, I think we need to make that switch. De- dental hygiene is the future of surfing. <laughs> yeah. Why make your teeth yellow with coffee, high blood pressure and other stinky breath type problems when you can yeah, showcase dental hygiene? This is where we're heading. 2022. Cheat codes. Mick Fanning's got some unexpected advice for you. So does Danny Johnson. It's not just, you know, I should have worked, uh, I wrote that title. I should have worked Danny's name into it because you were heavily involved in this cheat codes video that we just published on Star Premium. Yeah, I know. I always get so confused when Mick gets mentioned in a headline and I don't. I always, I thought my media rating was... Was it up there with Mick's but Turns out it's not. Yeah. Sam McIntosh interviewed Mick, got him to divulge his his five best tips, hacks, secrets. And then we did a little some extra graphics and, and video voiceover and things around that. And it changed my life, Buck. You needed it. <laughs> you were heading in a bad direction. <laughs> no, one of his one of his like simple tips actually changed my surfing and especially on my back end I was I was very guilty of this just with the way the upper body stuff or the arm placement and I've actually been surfing like Mick ever since probably even faster yeah I'd say faster which one is it which one of the five we won't we won't reveal too much here the first one where, where he talks about how to direct your chin and um what that what that does for the rest of your body the biggest thing on with top turn is you got to keep shoulders open like don't hunch over and and try and use power that way keep the shoulders open and the chin up that's the biggest thing because you know you can move like that so much easier than you can move like that we actually had a comment on the piece from somebody saying that the chin tip is why kolohe was able to take a punch at Back door too. Chin up. It's physics. Uh-huh. There you go. Chloe must have seen a, a preview. Yeah, I think he did, yeah. He actually may have because Sam was over in Hawaii interviewing a bunch of people, getting a bunch of cheat codes. I know he got John, Jamie O'Brien, a few others. We're going to leave some mystery around it for now. But he was showing people previews of the Mick one so that they understood the concept and maybe he got Chloe. Maybe that's why that proud American face prevailed in the famous backdoor punch 2022. Could have happened. Yeah. So cheat codes is monthly now. It's a monthly segment on stab premium and another article on stab premium. I was reading by Mitchell Shepard. He wrote that article. Why don't surfers care about improving? And 
that was one of those ones that kind of blindsided me. I was like, yeah, there is so much stigma. I mean, there's a million vlogs and, and YouTube videos for the, the beginner surfer out there. But then when it comes to the intermediate stuff, I don't know anyone that really participates in that. And you've got Brad Gerlach's Wave Key and Josh Kerr's Stomp Sessions, but I don't know a single person that actually subscribes and, and, and uses those things, any intermediate surfers. Yeah, it's so different in different surf regions around the world. Like I had some buddies come out to Portugal a few months ago and my one friend really likes uh, warming up on the beach. And here, like, you know, he says he does that back home and everybody's making fun of him. And in Portugal, something about the surf scene here, it's like almost more common than not. And people get wild with it. Do they? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw a guy put down his board one day and I swear he must have made it like a kilometer away from his board in his warm up. He was in his wedding, had placed his board in the sand and then just started running away. And I was like, how far is this guy going to go? And he went about a kilometer. I swear. <laughs> uh, my friend was loving it, started naming it the judgment free zone over here and just hammering his warm ups before he surfed. Because even that, like this thing would go so far that like even that you're like judged, you know? Like, like he said, like he, if you did it back home, he'd paddle out and all his buddies in the water just make, be making fun of him. And it's so weird. Yeah, trying it's, it's, is, is just not, not acceptable, is it? I, I swear it's... I wonder if it was always that way. I wonder if like 30 years ago it was still uncool to try. I mean, I doubt they were doing stretches on the beach back then, but... Stretching hadn't been wonder, invented like, yet. Yeah, yeah, not yet. They did that. That was like a 90s thing. Yeah, I think um, yoga was invented in California about six years ago. Yep, um, Lulu Lemon invented yeah. it actually. Wave Garden is going to Coachella. The title doesn't end there. We'll get to the rest of it, but let's just talk about for a minute, like, what is Wave Garden going to do at Coachella this year? Which bands is it there for? Is it going to do any drugs? Like, what, what do you think about, how's it going to dress? What do you think about Wave Garden going to Coachella? Man, I was so confused when I saw this headline because I didn't even know Coachella was a place. I just assumed it was the name of a music festival. My initial impression was like, they're going to build a Wave Garden just for the music festival. Imagine how long the lines will be. Like that's not that's not feasible. That's like Disneyland on steroids. Like there'll be eight million people lined up. Yeah, I know. I I that's funny. I could get I could see how somebody wouldn't know that it's a place if just after the music festival. Like I've never left this town, Buck. Yeah, no, I know. It's like near Palm Springs, and it's Coachella Valley. Like they, I I don't I don't think I heard of it before the music festival started happening there, but. Um, Wave Garden, it's, they're not going to build a pool. Wave Garden is going to camp there this year with a bunch of friends. Uh, <laughs> maybe bring some MDMA and uh, shrooms. Yeah, when I actually figured out that it was a place and therefore it was the headline made a lot more sense, I just thought like Coachella's done. Leave it alone. Do what Kelly did. No one had heard of Lamore before Kelly built the surf ranch there. You should just turn a town, like put a town on the map. Yeah, yeah, I know. Plus, I I love that about the first, like, the first really significant wave pools in surfing. Like, when it was 
just pretty much Waco and Lemoore. Just it, it felt so natural to surf to me that they were in just these fucked up places. Yeah, you know? Waco, like, another one that landed on the map. Annoying. Yeah, yeah, it would have been super annoying if they were just like places that you'd love to visit anyway. Like it felt so right that it was in these like what the Lemoore. Waco, what the fuck wasn't there like a that crazy uh, that crazy incident in Waco where that guy? Oh yeah, it was already on the map, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that cult. Yeah, that was that <laughs> it cult. was on the map for that. In 1993, Americans watched breathlessly as FBI agents faced off with a self-proclaimed religious prophet and his armed followers in Central Texas. This was the Waco Sea. Well, I mean, it's it's rewrote history there. Now it's on the map for a good reason. Hey, so this is uh, I had when I was on my journey of figuring out that Coachella was a, was a place. I looked up where it was, and so it's two and a half hours drive from LA, compared to three and a half hours in the opposite direction to get to Lemoore. So if you're in LA or you fly in there, you can either save an hour by traveling to Coachella, or you can then head up to Lemoore and get probably maybe better ways, but also bankrupt yourself. What do you think people are going to do, Buck? I don't know. It's L.A. I feel like L.A. is two and a half hours from L.A. Fuck that place. Driving there. <laughs> Plus their football team stole money from me over the weekend. Um, I don't know. Both are like, I think they're both like, Lemoore isn't a desert, I don't think. It's mostly just factory farmland, isn't it? There's just lots of cattle and things like that. And apparently the smell of manure. Like I said, I don't leave here, so I've never been there. I guess that's the appeal of the wave garden in Coachella is it's not just a wave pool or a surf ranch, whatever that means. It's a 92 room hotel and it's got villas and a beach club, spa, pickleball courts, whatever that is, restaurants, bars. It's a resort, Buck. That is a resort. Plus, Wave Garden also has six more wave pools planned across the UK and Ireland, oh which goodness. Ireland is pretty much Coachella. Um, it's the same same thing, same idea, right? Are they going to be resorts and have that same sort of rollout in those across Europe? I think it depends on the so like Wave Garden makes the technology, right? They have their thing now. They prove that it works and show you, and you pretty much decide what you want to do with it. Like some might just want to keep it simple, like that Alaya what Bay one in Switzerland. I think it's actually the smallest one. They're, they're trying to get the footprint to be as small as possible. It was like strikingly small. I thought Wave Pools just would have been way bigger. I had been to one like that before. Um, and, you know, a little bar, restaurant on site, locker rooms to change. But it was all up. It was way, way, way smaller of a complex than I imagined. And that's because the owner wanted it that way. Then again, I'm sure there's owners that have a nice piece of land somewhere that they want to do the whole resort thing and really build it out. So Wave Garden, I don't think they really have a policy on it. I think they just kind of work with owners to supply the technology and let them do what they want. Uh, and so that's why there'll be a Coachella this year. <laughs> you know they have 60 more projects in development too? That's 60 a lot. Wave Pools coming. I did not yeah. know that. Like, I feel like it's going to happen fast. I feel like in a few years... Because that's in a few years, all these things will be open, and you know, there's other wave pool companies too. 
in a few years, there's just going to be wave pools everywhere. Mm. Like, I feel like it's going to kind of feel like overnight that all of a sudden wave pools are everywhere. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to imagine we'll be talking about the opening of a pool in a couple of years. It'll be, it'll be the least exciting news ever. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, American Wave Machines is going to Splendor in the Grass. <laughs> and Surf Ranch is going to... Or Kelly Slayer Surf Co. What do they even call that one? Kelly Slayer Wave Co., I think. Um, that's going to like some washed up country music festival. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is it time for a sin? It's time. It's time for a surf sin. We've got a quick sin today. In and out. We, you know, we tell people, what's the limit? We usually say like try to get under two minutes. And some people just tell you they want to film their fucking coffee machine pretty much when they're telling <laughs> us about their sin this guy's in and out like a bandit yeah no it's a quick one so this is from jury prosciutto let's hear what jury prosciutto yeah wow tasty meat g'day fellas jury prosciutto here uh two-year advocate of the salt sport uh mid-length mini male trend follower my surf sin is um, I recently bought a 20, a small little 5920, and I've been waxing it up to the nose, knowing well that there's no intention of my feet ever reaching there. Do me in, good boys. Cheers. Yeah, it's quick, and that's how we like them quick, clean audio. What do you think? He's in, he's out, and he's uh, nose to tail. Huh. It's a tough one because that on its own is not a sin, right? Like, what's your stance? I don't think, my stance is that it's not a sin to wax your board to the nose. Would you have a, a formal opinion on this, Danny? I, don't, I, think it's, well, I think it's pretty wasteful. He's wasting wax time. Wax is made of pretty evil petrochemicals. So, yeah, it's a, it's a slight environmental disaster. And it's, I mean, typically... If you're surfing, you want to get out there straight away. So I think he's sinning on a level. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a sin. I just don't think not every uh, nose, tail, rail to rail wax job is a sin. This one is because as he confesses, it's it's not necessary. He's not going to stand up there. And so the sin here is gluttony, I think. Mm. Um, and bad. Bad and like you said, and like I can speak to because I'm an envir- I'm an eco warrior personally. Um, very unsustainable. So this guy's probably doing climate change. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I actually know Mr. Prosciutto, and he's actually a really good skater. So I kind of thought maybe he's just in this skater brain thing where he feels like he needs to grip the whole way just in case he does a varial flip, he just gets all Zoltan and, and ends up riding out, you know, with his foot on the nose of a trick. But until he does that, it's a it's a it's certainly a sin in my book. It is a sin. And I'm gonna go ahead and unveil my penance here. So it's a sin. Sin is gluttony. He's being wasteful, he's using more, taking more than he needs. And so my penance is that he has to give some stuff back. Hmm. And it's a pretty mild offense in my book, so I'm going to go pretty light and just say that he needs to leave one 
leash, leg rope, whatever you want to call it, in a popular surf parking lot. Oh, um, that's beautiful. There's nothing like finding a leash. You feel like you're the luckiest person in the world when you do. And these guys just leave it there and trust that it'll end up in the right hands. Because it will. That's how it works. That will free him of the guilt that he's been carrying all this uh, time since he started going nose tail rail to rail. I love that. You know, it's funny. As soon as you said the word gluttony, it made me remember a story about Mr. Prosciutto. He, he, he got called. He, we were speaking on the phone recently about a year ago and he told me he'd spent like $600 on these rollerblades that he found online that had an engine attached to one of the boots and like you fill it up oh. with petrol and you like go really fucking fast. And I don't know if that was a necessary purchase. So that was quite gluttonous, but I, I like that penance. My penance, I just thought he's using, he loves waxing up, which I respect. I enjoy waxing up too, but uh, so I, I didn't want to take that away from him, but I just thought, rather than unnecessarily wasting wax on his own board, that he has to ask a complete stranger in the car park that's about to go for a surf if he can wax their board up for them. <laughs> he has to do that. He has to hover around the car park until someone says yes, which I think would be a beautiful moment. And I would love if it was recorded. We love all our surf scenes to be documented. They so rarely are. But that's it. Take your pick. Take your pick of penance and uh, feel... <laughs> cleansed i like that one a lot would you let somebody do that well oh, I, would I don't know how that. i'd react i would be big yeah. time i'd be all I mean, if they had the right wax if they had an array of waxes and and you know could cater to my base coat i would that would be a really that would be a joy for me yeah yeah i guess you're right well i like that pick your uh pick your penance on your way i'm kind of superstitious about wax though I like to chuck a, a slight little bit on before most surfs. And when I don't do it, I feel weird. So I don't know what it would do to my, to my superstition if someone else did it. Yeah, yeah. I, am, I think we've talked about this. I'm exactly the same way where if I, if I don't have wax on board, I'm just mentally breaking down the entire time. I think the whole thing is an ice rink. And, um, and no matter what my chin does, not even my chin can help me. It's all, <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> All right. I think, that's a, I think that's a wrap, Mr. Buck. Not quite a wrap, Danny. We've got one more. We've got one more. I've been sitting on this for a bit. I don't think it went to your inbox. I think it went just straight to me, and it was right around the holiday season. He might even reference that, but uh, it's, it's one of the best things that I think we've received so far. All right. Uh, I'd love for you to have a listen. I'm going to hit play. Now then, Brandon, I am... Um... I'm a listener from Yorkshire in England, uh, so I'm getting some North Sea action over Christmas and absolutely frothing. But basically, I don't have a surfing or anything, uh, but you said I could email you in a voice note, just basically calling you both cunts. So this is me getting excited with my dulcet North Yorkshire UK tones. So yeah, cheers for the podcast, lads. Great work, but you're still a set of cunts. Bye. <laughs> oh man, there's something about being uh, insulted in a, in such a great accent that feels so good. It works. It just works, doesn't it? Uh, wasn't that something? Yeah. Thank you to whoever that was. That was that, that was very much appreciated.
Oh my god, I laughed so hard the first time I heard it. And just... <laughs> Thanks, Buck. Please submit your surf scenes. Our emails are in the episode description. Danny at stabmag.com and Buck at stabmag.com. And now let's hear from Mike and Stace on this edition of the Stab Cusp. Welcome back to the Stab Cusp. That is the currently untitled surf podcast. I am Michael Saramella, joined by Stace Galbraith. And holy shit, are we in the midst of the best surfing competition that's ever happened, Stace? Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, Move the CT back to January and voila, what do you have? Unbelievable. I can't quite believe it. It's just the best waves I think I've ever seen just full stop like how even just how blue the water seems to be it's it's looks fake it's a joke we just watched the end of the women's quarters so we're through the men's round of 16 and basically awaiting finals day which should be on Friday which I think is the day that this goes live and god the first two men's days were as good as pipeline gets you know, anywhere from 6 to 12 to maybe 15 foot at the end of that last day and just absolute sublime conditions. The women didn't get the best waves. They surfed on the back end of each swell day, basically, and they both fell off pretty quickly. The first women's day was actually pretty bad, I would say. There was only one excellent wave ridden and I think three heats in the double digits of 24 women who surfed a heat that day, so it wasn't great. Today was a bit better. We saw a 9.5 from Carissa, another wave that would have been a 9.5 from Carissa had she just kept her high line in that wave, and a few other great waves and great heats as well. So yeah, we're down to the final eight for the men, final four for the women, and I think we should rip into some of the details though, right Stacey? Yes, but before we go any further, I would like to say that there's a new thing that I've noted that fans uh, uh, online and on the beach just love. And barrels, floaters, and I'd like to add to that whenever a, a buoy gets unanchored from the reef or sand and gets washed in. That, that's really what the people want to see. So maybe for finals day, we can just put a couple of buoys like not quite off the second reef and just leave them lingering there and watch them get washed through the lineup and watch the surfers kind of have to dodge them. Because there's something just about a bouncy ball looking thing going through the ocean at its own will that it's just very amusing and very uh, satisfying. Yeah, and you know the best part about that is, is those people in their excitement forget that those waves are going to land on the shore in about 30 seconds, and they end up getting all of their belongings washed out to sea. Um, so it's this great little double header where you have the ooh and the ah, and then you have the ah, no! <laughs> yeah, I saw, saw a fair bit of that carnage also, a bit of pipeline tax, few few iPhones in the reef now. Yeah, so uh, hopefully that plugs the holes up. Mm. What do you got? Where should we start? There's just too much to even break down. Oh, there's so much. Um, Okay, I guess before we get into the action, I want to go over a few logistical details, which, which sounds boring, but we nerd out on this stuff, and it is kind of important. So first one is the WSL announced just before the pipe contest started that they were no longer going to do the reseeding, reshuffling thing that they were doing the past couple years, where if you got first in your first round heat, you would move up basically to the top of your tier. I don't want to go into the whole explanation, but basically what it means is that your seed going into an event is now fixed. So if you are the lowest seed, 
no matter what, if you make it to round three, if you and the highest seed make it to that round, you're going to surf against them. So it, to me, it was kind of weird for them to retract this rule. I guess maybe some of the surfers complained about it, but it just really takes the stakes away from round one. And I think that's why the rule was added in the first place. For whatever reason, they didn't want to keep doing it. And to me, it just made round one feel like an absolute wash. It's like, what's even the point? Yeah, it's a funny one. Um, it it's like the higher you were in your bracket obviously you had so much more to lose but if you were in the lower part of your bracket it really it, i don't know i never really saw um a whole lot of sense in it but i i would say that this heat draw that just came out for the men and the women was um it was unfortunate there was a lot of good matchups in round three for both the men and the women where both surfers um look the shortest way to put it is they wanted to be there in big heaving pipe, men and women, and then perhaps the next heat was a little light on. So it's a bummer that rule wasn't in because maybe we might have seen a, a bit more of a mix-up. Yeah, and I mean, that can happen either way, you know, no matter how you have the seating situation. It just so happened that in this event, yeah, there did seem like there was a lot of crossfire on the top heads. Uh, we actually, we were supposed to have Moana and Carissa in around three heat together, that was then changed because Bethany came in last second taking Steph's spot, so she assumed the lowest seed in the event. Moana got pushed to the other side, which then put her in a heat against her arch nemesis, Tatiana Weston-Webb, and it's really interesting, and now it's starting to look like Carissa and Moana could very well end up in the final together, which is, I think, what everybody wanted to see in the first place anyway. I take everything back that I just said. I love the seeding, and I love the fact that we got Moana, Taddy, uh, round three. That's exactly what we signed up for yeah but before we dive anywhere deeper into that steph gilmore they decided to run that second round on the first day of the women's the waves were bad as we've discussed before and because steph needed to be within the wsl's covid protocols until january 31st she could not compete in that second round heat how do you feel about the wsl running that round it was only two heats so they only saved an hour the waves were bad and you're eliminating surfers in just like subpar conditions and you're not allowing Steph to surf. So where do you fall on that decision? Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, there, I, I did read the statement there from, from Jesse and it was, you know, we don't, we don't run our tours based on the needs of individuals. It's, you know, based on the need of the, the greater group, um, which, you know, includes the men because obviously it's a part of the format and it's a part of the running period. So one less hour is one less hour. And as you see with Pipeline, uh, it can die pretty quick. So uh, I, it sucks to say it, but I think you just got to draw the line in the sand somewhere. So if they felt like they had enough waves to run, then away they go. So, yeah, it's, it's shitty. I mean, I think Steph is obviously one of the better surfers out there. Uh, she's obviously a seven-time world champ for no other reason than the fact she fucking rips and deserves to, you know, get a crack out there. But... I mean, you can't you can't start bending and shaping events around one person. Those days are long gone. With individual, I think that I think that's why you brought in a commissioner and a commissioner's office and things like that because you you no longer do you have like Parker and Mick texting Jake Pato going fucking no way we're running. Hey, Stace, I gotta let you in on something. I don't think Jesse listens to this podcast, so I don't think this is the way to, to get your job back necessarily. Oh, yeah, I'm not clawing for a job back. I've already been relegated to the QE. But, um, yeah, I, I think I've just got to stand by that because I've seen it happen before where you get, you know, 
it just opens up a crazy can of worms if you start bending and shaping events around one person. Yeah, fair enough. All right, cool. So now to the action. First and foremost, I guess I have to come out and formally apologize to not just the rookies themselves, but also our listeners for giving terrible, terrible information. Uh, I said in our last podcast, or maybe two podcasts ago, I don't know, that the rookies weren't going to do well at Pipe because they didn't get any waves in the lead up. But it turned out that they just brought that hunger straight into the event and went pretty fucking ham. They got five people into the round of 16, and two of them are into the quarters. Samuel Poupeau, I mean, to be fair, he seems to be surprising himself every time he paddles out, but like, what the fuck, dude? He just went from like an absolute nobody at Pipeline, nobody's ever seen him catch a wave out there, to now he's picking off waves at like, when it's third reefing, under Jordy Smith, getting eights. It's like, what? How did this happen? It's next level, isn't it? It's um, it's where you want to prove yourself, and they're proving it. So I think both of us have made a few calls that have been absolutely blown to smithereens, but at the end of the day, I'm happy to be wrong when you see performances like that. I think we both looked at Samuel Pupo and, and love his surfing and, and expect him to do well in a certain type of wave that particularly isn't third reef washed through pipe, but lo and behold, here we go. Um, I know you can. anyone can sound like a genius in hindsight, um, so I will. <laughs> They've got waves there in Marisius, um that aren't over reef, but they're, they're almost like a South Stratty, uh, heaving barrels on sand. And I think Sammy's done his homework and he's, he's showing everyone up. And I think that, um, you know, having a pipe master in Gabriel Medina and a three-time world champ in your hometown, obviously he's rubbed off on him and he's not scared to swing and have a go. So... All the power to Sammy. He's going all the way. <laughs> and uh, his brother Miguel is also in the quarters, so well done to the Poupo clan. Um, and just to go through some of the other rookies and how they did, um, actually the only rookie who didn't make the ra- make it out of the round of 32, or sorry, out of the second round, which he got a 33rd, is Emai Kalani DeVault, which was really surprising. And he actually looked really lost out there. Like, I was just confused watching him surf. Like, he's actually great at pipe he's out there all the time and in his heats he just looked totally lost he got one wave at the end of his second round heat that kind of redeemed him but it just it wasn't enough to get him through um liam o'brien unfortunately hurt himself just before the start of the event that's why we saw jordy lawler get a run as a wild card he ended up getting i think probably the best wave of his life in his round two heat and that wasn't enough to get him through but it was probably still a great experience for jordy um jacko baker made a heat and then he got comboed by John Florence. Um, who else do we got? Uh, Jake Marshall made it through a heat, then got fucking goaded in round three. Put up a one-wave heat total against Slater, which is probably not going to do it. Um, Callum Robson, absolutely charging, like madman. Beat Ethan Ewing, made it to the round of 16. Didn't make it any further. Um Joao Chianka, I guess this isn't necessarily surprising. He was the one rookie who we probably saw as like having the best pipe chops. But he took out Jack Robinson, which is no easy feat. And he then went on to almost beat John Florence. He got the best wave of the event thus far. Crazy 9.87. And then he, he <laughs> in a wave that he was trying to, to win the heat, he knew he wasn't going to make it. But he did this crazy snap stall under the lip stood tall into a giant closeout, just full Bruce Irons-esque, incredible performance. Um, And then Carlos Munoz, this is a sad one. Carlos was 
doing really well in his heat against Federico Marais. He got a backdoor barrel, came out, did a huge turn, and just kind of caught his rail, got sucked over the falls, hit his shoulder on the reef, kind of bruised it a bit, didn't think it was too bad, paddled back out, and when he was paddling for another wave, he fully dislocated it. And then apparently got hurt worse trying to get on the ski again, blah, blah, blah. He had to get out of that heat. He still made the heat. Then when he tried to paddle back out, it basically just completely collapsed. He had to quit, so he couldn't surf his round of 16 heat against Luca Messinas, despite Kelly Slater's best efforts to <laughs> to heal his wound on the beach. Um, and yeah, that just brings us to Luca Messinas, who had a buzzer-beater winner over Clohandino. And I wanted to talk to you about this one. Did you see this when it went down, Stace? I, I did. You did. I, I, I did, yeah. Did you see what I saw? Uh, I, I, I saw something that struck me as odd. Um, and if you're talking about wanting to keep my job, um, the comment that I'll make will probably not fare too well, but I'll make it anyway. But you go first. Well, I was just going to say that. So he's in a heat against Kolohe. Luca needs a score at the end to beat Kolohe. Luca has priority. A wave comes in the last few seconds. It is a split peak. Luca is looking left. Brother recognizes this and paddles to his other side so he can go right. But Luca looks at Brother in the last like second where it was kind of too late, like Brother was going at this point. And he could have just gone right. And he would have won the heat. Brother would have got DQ'd. It would have been a guaranteed win. But instead, he chose to go left. He took the more honorable route. Obviously, it paid off for him. But if you're a coach, what are you telling your, your surfer to do in that position? Pipeline's a life-threatening wave, and you don't fuck around with that shit. You, you go the way you want to go, and you need to read the wave as best you can. So I think he did, I think he did the right thing. And if it's a better right, then he should have gone right. But he made the right decision to obviously go left, and I think it was because it was a better wave. And the reason why I say I think is I'd like to repeat everything you just said in that surfer X is chasing a score. That surfer has priority. Both surfers are looking at the wave. What way do you follow? So you think that the cameras went the wrong way? That 100% went the wrong way. You followed the surfer chasing the score. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, true. Absolutely, you're right. It's probably a little bit tough game time. You're like, oh, shit, you know, you've got, you've got the camera operators, you've got the person controlling where they go. I don't even know how that whole thing works. But, yeah, fair enough. They probably should have had it on Luca. I didn't even get to really see the wave. It was like a weird one-wave replay, and that was it. They're into the next one. And, like, there's a kid, a rookie, he's just beating, like, a top-five guy on the buzzer. Yeah, man, I want to see the guy with priority chasing a score ride the wave. Yeah. Well, anyway, brother looked pretty fucking gutted about that one, as you would be, I suppose. He was my dark horse winner to do really well in this event, and unfortunately, it just didn't happen. Um, he's He seems to get almost disproportionately unlucky, I would say, brother, but... That's just how it goes, I guess. And ultimately, the best guys are figuring out ways to win. So I don't know if what he's got to change exactly, but something's got to change. Yeah, that was a tough one for sure. I mean, they both kind of had their opportunities and put up their scores and a wave comes at the end and there's nothing he can really do about it. Like, I wouldn't say he shouldn't have ridden an earlier wave in that heat because that's how he got his points, obviously. So just the way that sometimes the, the formation of the sets come in and that, that was the way it goes. Sort of dissimilar, though, to kind of... I think Connor Coffin had a, had a moment where he had a slow heat and then he kind of had a tough decision where he rode a small wave and, and it didn't end up working out and then the, the wave behind was infinitely better, which the person that beat him didn't even need 
and, and ended up, you know, those ones sting. Whereas I think Kolohe, I, I can't really think of much he could have done differently. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough game, isn't it? When, I mean, especially when the waves are that good, you're never safe, really. And even no matter who you're against, like when the waves are that perfect, it doesn't, it just takes somebody taking off in the right spot. Yeah, really. and it's different when you're trading eights and nines. It's it's a lot it's a lot more clear cut. But when you're trading fours and sixes like Klohe and Luca were, and same with the Connor Coffin Heat, it's like, do I really wait and see what's behind this one if I think I can see a good scoring opportunity in this wave? It's just you know, if you had forty minutes out there and you haven't really stuck an excellent score, then for sure you're going to pick off one that looks like a medium one. Yeah, and speaking of which, we saw a pretty devastating loss today. Somebody going on a wave that they shouldn't have but we will get to that first i want to talk about the other person in that connor coffin heat and that is baron mamiya local wild card obviously incredible at pipeline had kelly slater on the ropes and i mean on the ropes like he had like basically a couple of eights and slater had seconds left to get an eight of his own to make it through and lo and behold was that just peaks later or what? That's some of the greatest shit you could ever queue up in your whole entire life. Kelly must just be feeling incredible right now. That That is, you know, it's been a little while since Kelly's done some dark art shit like that. But man, it's fucking scary when it clicks for him. He's looking really good. The forecast looks really good. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But like, fuck, he's looking good. I was tripping like when i first watched it well first of all i was sitting there with my wife and she was like and this is like i don't know maybe six minutes left in the heat she's like what do you think i was like i don't know it looks pretty pretty rough for kelly like baron's got a couple really big scores kelly needs a good score i think baron might have even had priority at that point and yeah i said it wasn't looking good she's like no he's gonna do it and i was like okay like you just think he's kelly slater and he can do anything like that's not how it works anymore freaking whatever two minutes left he starts doing the water splashy thing chris cote calls it out and they're just like setting up this moment and i'm like it's not gonna happen he's freaking he's 49 years old he's almost 50 baron's the next the new guard like this is just this is the evolution of the sport like you can't do it forever and then four seconds left he takes off on that wave and and i didn't realize this at the time i I obviously saw him come out and do his like slater shruggy thing he let go of the rail in the last like second and a half of the barrel that was just so unnecessary, but that's just what makes him him. I agree. He was doing the cloud break Fiji Jesus claim, but it was kind of like a knifey, almondy exit, and he was kind of getting lipped in the side of the head. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> don't fucking blow it. <laughs> nah, he didn't blow it. He absolutely nailed it. And uh, I think the genius in that whole sequence of events was he let the wave before that go. You know, so many people would have, so many people, so many people would have just shit themselves and just spun and gone because oh, this is my last chance. Twenty seconds left, like fuck it, nah, not Kelly. Like that's some um, sixth sense shit right there. I'm sitting thousands of miles away, armchair critiquing, and I'm like, why didn't he go on that one? Like that was a sick one. And then yeah, he's that's why he's Kelly. Fuck, round of applause. Yeah, I do get worried though for Kelly in these situations uh, when he has a, a heat like that in at that round because you kind of, you know, armchair critic here, you know, because I've won so many fucking CTs. But it's really comforting to see a surfer start to peak from about the quarters onwards, not pre-quarters. So I actually think a few days off is going to do Kelly some good, which I think is what they'll get. They'll get a couple of days off and then it's going to run again. 
hopefully just to reset and kind of be like, okay, quarters, round one. I know I think he's, he's matched up against Kanoa. That's a hard heat. Kanoa's really, really clever. He, he doesn't make mistakes. And Kelly knows deep down that he should absolutely thrash him. But I hope that he just kind of keeps putting one arm in front of the other and, and gets the job done and doesn't get too far ahead of himself because I really think he could win this fucking thing. Yeah, and I actually don't think he will, at least like mentally. Like, he's not going into that heat thinking like, oh, Kanoa's an easy draw. It's pumping pipeline on Kelly because he even said it in his uh, post-heat interview that Kanoa and Leo both kind of have his number. And I was just looking up the stats. Kelly is 0-3 head-to-head against Kanoa Igarashi in his career. So he's going to be taking this very, very, very seriously. I love it. He's already pegging himself as the underdog. Brilliant. The mind games have started. Okay, now here is my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that Kelly beats Kanoa, and then he goes on to beat who else? Let's, let's take a look at this. So he beats Kanoa, right? And then he goes on and beats Miguel Pupo, and then it's him and John in the final, right? And he wins. And then he has to think, is it ever going to get better than this for me? I'm turning 50 literally this month, I haven't won an event in, what, five years. I just beat John John, the best surfer in the world, at the most important event in the world. Does Kelly Slater hang it up after that? I fucking hope not. Nah, he, he does sunset. He gets some sort of result that keeps him on tour there, similar to Portugal. He gives Australia the finger, and then he goes and surfs the back half of the year and makes the top five. Okay, I really, really hope you're right because I am terrified of Kelly Slater having just a walk-off and just being like, nope, that's it. Because if this is like the last we ever see of him, obviously that's an incredible moment for history, but I don't want to lose him. He's, he's literally like one of my top three favorite people to watch on tour and not just because of like, oh, it's Kelly Slater. It's like, no, he's like seriously more entertaining than almost anybody else. Are you really still riding that wave? Man, I gave up on him like fucking 15 years ago after the... F- pseudo retirement announcements i'm just enjoying every every wave now i'm not i'm not getting emotionally attached to kelly's retirement plan and i'd advise you to do the same thing you're fucking done oh (laughs) god what a roller coaster oh when he tried to overshadow parker's retirement with a fake retirement that just did it for me i was like i can't i can't can't get around this anymore i'm like (laughs) a huge fan of i'm a huge fan of his ability on the wave phase but that shit was just so off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right so let's just before we move on to the women let's go just through the men really quickly so we got quarterfinals first one kelly Kanoa. second miguel luca third seth john fourth kayo samuel who's making it yeah let's just cut the crap i'm going to kelly john final and potentially kelly for the win it's the only person that can really beat john unless seth does that's it that's all i'll say about that quarterfinal situation yep all right cool now I'm gonna pretty much agree, and I'm I'm rooting for John for multiple reasons. One of which is to protect the Kelly uh, season for mending, and the other is because I put put a bit of money on John to win on the uh, the old BetOnline.ag. We've got a our little running betting thing going on. I got absolutely smoked the first day, but I've been crushing it ever since. I'm nine for eleven on individual heat winners. So trying to keep the, the, the train rolling there, and I, I picked John as uh, an event winner. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's hope that comes to fruition as well. I don't know what it's called in the States. I think it's called a parlay, where you put them both together. 
Ah, uh, yeah, we we can't do that yet. Bet Online AG, they're just coming into surfing. This is their first event ever, and I think they're like a little scared to leave that. As they're an scared. Yet, they're definitely they're scared. Not their odds. Because that's yeah. when you fucking make it rain, Mikey boy. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm terrible at this, but yeah, throw down a few multis and then you'll then you'll really start smiling. I know. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I actually, my biggest bet, I've got a. I think the odds have changed now because she's progressed in the event. But I put I think like fifty dollars down on Moana Jones to win the event outright, and she was coming in at like plus eight hundred, which means that I'll get almost almost 10 times my original investment if she wins the event. So like 400 bucks or something. I've got to do some research on some Vegas odds because I actually don't really know how all that shit plays out. So if anyone wants to send me a text, I'd be, I'd be stoked to crunch some numbers. But uh, yeah, who was that chick that beat Ronda Rousey? That's kind of, I think that's what she was paying, plus 800. Oh, yeah. So that's, yeah. that, okay, that's so, huge. And you fix that in, right? It doesn't matter if she's, she's, you, got her, you got on her early, so you're stoked. Um, but, yeah, let's get into that. With this forecast, the way it is, moving on to the women's side of things, yeah, man, she is going to be very hard to beat. I feel like today the size in the morning was just small enough for the women to pick off a few rights. Any bigger than that, and it's, you're risking your life to get a right. So it's going to be mostly left, so I'm feeling. I'm not too sure what you're seeing. And, man, Moana's in a league of her own when it comes to going left, particularly with who, who is remaining in the draw. She took out her only other competitor going left earlier in the round. So, man, she's just set herself up for a walk-up start here. Yeah, I mean, the waves look like they're going to be incredible on Friday. And also, we need to actually give a round of applause to the WSL for not finishing the women today. They could have very easily just taken the easy way out and been like, oh, yeah, there's still some waves out there. Go get some fives and sixes and let's let's wrap this thing up. But no, they are making the women, the top four women, Tyler Wright, Moana Jones, Carissa Moore, Lakey Peterson, surf at proper pumping pipeline. Like, it's going to be intense and big and scary and hopefully perfect, and I hope that they crush it. But as you said, Moana's the only one that's really shown us anything in, like, big pipeline lefts before. So there's my point earlier about not running women's round two. I know the waves weren't great for women's round two, but if I'm going to put out any sacrificial lambs for the forecast, it's it's round two like you want to see the quarters onwards in the best possible waves so if they didn't run that they'd still be left with the quarters now and to run that all of that on finals day yeah but to run all of that on finals day you're then pushing out the men's and women's finals into what could be a dying pipe swell or some funky wind or whatever so uh, i think they're an amazing position and it's because they ran that round earlier in the event all right all right i'll give it to you um so the women before we talk about the future, let's talk about the past. First and foremost, got to give a shout out to Malia Manuel. She's had, she had on the first day the best wave, the only like legit proper kind of funneling tube at backdoor. She got an eight. And then she had a heat today and it was really interesting to me the way it was scored. I think it was actually the first heat of the day. It was against Sally Fitzgibbons and Moana got, or sorry, Malia got the first wave. It was a little right. She got kind of behind it, kind of not, but she got spit out. It was like a decent sized wave. It was a like good shaped tube, and she got like a 4.83, which I thought was fair, a little on the high side maybe, but like I didn't really know what the conditions were like, so just let them run with it. Then Sally gets two waves, and Let's just call them what they are. They were pocket rides. She didn't get in the tube. She took off left, grabbed a rail. One of them was a slightly bigger wave than what Malia had ridden. The other one was kind of average. But in neither of the waves did she get tubed at all. She was in the pocket the entire time. 
Um, and they gave her a 3.83, one point lower than Malia's wave, and then like a low three for the other. And then Malia takes off on her right, and it's a not a big wave, but it's got a really nice shape, and she does two beautiful frontside turns, like just textbook Malia turns. And they drop a 2.17. So I'm looking at this like, if this is anywhere else in the world, Malia has the two highest scoring waves of this heat, no questions asked. Is that where your mind was as well? Uh, yeah, but then when it doesn't happen, you've got to think about why. And I pretty quickly, and I'm sure you did as well, identified why. And Sally, I'll give Sally some credit for that first one. She didn't get barreled, but the drop was pretty fucking sick. And the judges have a very important message this comp to send. And, and the message they're sending is they want to see committed drops with good technique let me take that back. They want to see good tube riding on the backhand as well as on the forehand, from, especially from the natural footers. So when you see a surfer take a late drop like that, they, they're kind of, they're more than halfway to a good tube ride. So I can understand them rewarding Sally's first one, but I'm with you for the rest of the heat. Like, what, what are we doing? Like, you can't do that on every, there's no sympathy points. Like, yeah, so no, I was definitely baffled, for sure. But I think her 1-3-8-3 was worthy. I actually really did like that drop. I thought that was a pretty good drop, and I think a lot of the other natural-footed women could learn from that one. Okay, yeah, so that was... My initial reaction was, what the fuck? Like, I was, like, pretty pissed. Could have something to do with the fact that I had money on Malia. But I, think I love this. I done... love this new Mikey. This is what we're at. You've been <laughs> fucking boring as fuck for the last two years. Now you've got a bit of flesh in the game and you're fired up. You've got your boy Carlos on tour. You're throwing down the boss's money on some betting. You're winning a little bit of cash to take the missus on a date. And I fucking love it. Yes, exactly. So I was mad. I was livid. I was screaming. Um, and then I thought about it and I came to the same conclusion as you. The judges are trying to send a message. But that being said, Imagine if Malia had not gotten another wave. Sally would have won that heat with those two pocket rides. What I think they should have done is, sure, give Sally a couple of like decent scores. But she ended up, whatever, point one ahead of Malia. And I, I don't think they can do that. I don't think they can have Sally in the lead of that heat on those two waves. When Malia got a proper barrel and then got a wave with some turns. You know, like there, I understand the message, but there needs to be some reality in that as well so my biggest problem with the women's tour and the and the scoring scale when this happens sometimes especially in lower heats um and talking about sending a message and how to build excellent scores malia is well known for having you know one of the most beautiful frontside wraps in the business but sometimes she might fall on a second turn or the wave would be a bit off to me, those one individual maneuvers, like Sally's drop, I'll give it to her on this occasion, uh, they're, they're still worthy of, I think, being enough to turn the heat. But sometimes the judges, they only send messages in certain conditions. I, I would like to see the judges keep sending that message of, of big, powerful, committed surfing more often. Because plenty of times I'll see, particularly on the women's tour, two backhand snaps outperform one big beautiful turn and i just don't think that should be the case uh, you know th they say they don't count turns but yeah anyway so that, that's that's the the message there the, the message they're sending is is big late steep drops on the backhand which you have to do that to get barreled on the backhand so i can i kind of understand that one yeah 
So in the end, Malia did end up getting another right, thankfully. The right surfer won that heat. And the rest of the day was actually pretty good. We saw some great barrels from some of the younger surfers on tour. Um, Isabella Nichols got some great waves. Um, Molly Picklin packed a couple. India Robinson didn't paddle out. Apparently she was dealing with a pre-existing injury, which I'm sure there is at least some level of truth to. But I can also understand how somebody might have been a little bit frightened by the conditions, especially early morning when she was meant to surf. Yeah, so she did have a pretty bad concussion at Haleiwa uh, earlier in the Hawaii season and heard it was a pretty bad one. Like, couldn't go outside for more than half an hour or, or surf or do any kind of strenuous activity. So... Um, there was a few comments online, particularly on the webcasts, that were definitely, you know, aiming more towards maybe she'd withdrawn. Let me just tell you, any anyone from Victoria in that part of the world, they've got ticker. So I, I, I would say if she pulled out, she was she was hurting. Yeah, fair enough. And then um, Tati and Moana had a really great heat. They went back and forth a lot. Moana came out on top. Um, I think the best heat of at least the first round of the women today, which is round three, was Joanne versus Molly. They really went back and forth, like, till the last minute, trading some really, really good waves. And then, um, yeah, there was a bit of a crazy buzzer beater situation, actually, in the last quarter between Joanne and Lakey. Um, Joanne had Lakey on the ropes. She had priority. Lakey needed a score at the end. And Joanne went on the first wave of the set, which was basically just a burger. And then Lakey was on the one right behind it on the buzzer getting drained across the entire reef at back door. Um, that would have been really hard to peek over the shoulder. How does that situation feel when you're a coach? Are you like mad? Are you upset? What, what is that like? Mm, you, you kind of just got to golf clap those ones. Um, like, well done. As, as much as that hurts, that it just stings. Yeah, you're kind of going initially it's probably frustration and anger and then soon after it's like well you know you got you got outdone um yeah and that's when you start to start to piece together earlier movements in the heat and early decisions and and were they the right ones um and were they the right ones at the time you you kind of you don't want to go well that happened so did i make the right decision earlier and then like i mentioned earlier everyone's a a heinz a world champion in hindsight so yeah, they're, they're fucked. They're, they sting, but yeah. Similar to the Connor Coffin heat, I think, with Baron. Are you generally in the camp of, like, if your surfer is in Joanne's situation, they have the lead, they have priority, the other surfer needs not a huge score, but, like, a decent score. Like, it'll take a decent wave. And one of those waves that is very questionable comes through. Are you on the take that wave away from them camp or let them have it and see how they go camp? Ah, uh, that's such a broad question because there's so many things to factor in wave knowledge is huge and not a lot of those women you know in all fairness have great wave knowledge out there so i'd, I'd be taking the wave uh at, at this point um if it was like a you know a, a bells or a j bay or somewhere where they had a bit more experience perhaps maybe not but i'd be yeah i think you've got to take your chances out there all right so as we said before the semis are decided for the women it's tyler wright and milana wong and Carissa Moore and Lakey Peterson. Yeah, are you taking the obvious two into the final? Yeah, I'm going to take the obvious ones there. I can't see them being beaten at this point. Okay, now I want to give you an interesting little bit of info that I just found out. I just talked to the WSL to verify this, but if Moana Wong goes on to win this event, that's 10,000 points, right? 
and say by winning this event, she were to be granted another wild card for Sunset, and she made a few heats there. If she amassed enough points in those two events, or maybe she gets another wild card after that, if she gets enough points to be within the top 10 after Margaret River, she would surf the back half of the 2022 tour. So she would qualify mid-year, which is not something that anybody really thought about as an option that you could do with the mid-year cut. People thought of the mid-year cut as people just leaving, but it turns out wild cards could technically earn a spot on tour. Yeah, it's incredible to think about. And it's, it's even with the semifinal finish here, um, at worst result, she could still do that very, very, very easily. Uh, semifinal's a huge result. And if she goes on to the final, well, then, yeah, that's another story in itself. But pretty crazy. I think that as a wild card, she deserves a big round of applause because, you know, like we spoke about, uh, I think, last pod, men or women's wild cards over the years at Pipeline. Well, obviously, the women haven't been there, but with the men, they you know, haven't had too many people flying the flag. So, yeah, she's doing an amazing job and certainly deserves another call-up if, if that comes her way. And I did the math. The 10th place surfer on last year's Women Tour, which is where the cut line would be, had 14,000 points if you were to take four of their top five event or first five event scores. So that's maybe the rough cut that she would have to get to, which is possible, of course. And then think about this. If Moana makes it to the second half of the tour, she's got G-Land and Tahiti. She wins both of those events. She's looking at a spot in the top five. Pretty crazy year. It's almost custom built for her. <laughs> it's pretty wild. I mean, obviously, this is a lot of speculation and projection, but exciting to think about. Definitely, yeah. I think that's what we're here for. Bit of bit of uh, bit of projection, bit of speculation. Uh, all you know, all the all the events at that back half. They definitely, you know, she's like, should be getting third minimum. Yeah, you'd think so. All right, well, we are, as you can tell, really fucking excited for this last day of this event, um, especially seeing the women, man. I'm so glad that they, they held them off. I really can't wait to see how they go out there. Should be another incredible day of competition, maybe Friday, maybe Saturday. We will be tuned in either way. And we'll be back next week to go over that finals day and any other sort of stories or happenings that occur on the championship tour. Looking forward to it, Mikey. Thanks, Mike and Stace. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the Stab Podcast feed, the drop, and most probably the cusp again.